About the Church podcast, episode number 124. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the About the Church Podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and my friends, I have a treat for you today. Nearly an hour-long conversation with my good friend, David H. Foster. You know, one of my scriptures, one of my scriptures, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Proverbs 15, 22. And it's something it's it has a it has a principle that I like to live by. And it and it and it's basically it says this plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. I'll read that to you one more time. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. That's Proverbs 15, 22. And and it's really one of the principles, one of the biblical principles that I have applied to the way that I build my business and and, and really my life. And I want to let you know that I surround myself with a, a council of advisors from various aspects in life. I have I have pastor friends, which David H. Foster is a pastor friend. He is a pastor. He's a full-time pastor. I have another pastor friend of mine, uh, Chad Cadell. Hopefully, I'll get him in here uh, one of these days real soon uh, into the studio and recording about the church episode with him. I've got some other pastor friends, but I also have advisors in other areas of life. I've got a good friend. His name is Stuart, who, who is extremely successful in the business realm. And, and I like to turn to him for some advice. I've got some other friends that have achieved amazing success. One of the things that God has blessed me with is just surrounding me with an amazing number of close, personal friends that I can turn to for wisdom and counsel and advice whenever it comes to these plans that I have for moving forward in my life and big decisions and and of course, one of my one of my greatest advisors is my lovely wife Stephanie. But uh, but one of one of somebody right there at the top, right up there, is is my good friend David H. Foster. Now you may recognize that name. He was included in episode one twenty two of this podcast. So just two episodes ago, in fact, that was titled "How to Win at Life with Money." I not only ripped off the title of, of off of uh, David. Uh, but I also ripped off the entire episode or the recording of his sermon that he preached with that title. And Stephanie and I gave our play-by-play commentary of of his message, which if you haven't listened to that, I, I strongly encourage you to go back to episode 122. I'd love to get in there with Stephanie and do the play-by-play on some of the other messages in that series. But, um, you know, that, that'll come as as time allows for Stephanie and I to to work on that project together. But I figured, you know what, rather than just hold off until we can finish an entire series, I'm like, I'm moving forward. We're going to continue to blaze through here. And today I am sharing with you a conversation that I had yesterday on Monday, December 12th with David Foster. We went ahead and did a telephone conversation. So it's not not maybe what you're used to, but let me tell you something. If you would bear with the the fact that it is a telephone conversation. Actually, I'm in the studio, but David's on the phone. Trust me, the conversation, I think, is is golden, especially for those of you who are intrigued by my recent being set free from the bondage and the yoke of slavery, a.k.a. religion. Um, it, it, it's, been, it's been well over two months. I think I'm approaching my third month of freedom now. And God has been tremendously blessing me with a multitude of people to do life, to do genuine life together, to do, to be the church with. And, and I am so overwhelmed by God's grace that I'm finding myself uh, able to extend grace to others where I once had a difficult time doing so. 
all of that and so much more comes out in this conversation. And uh, you know what? I, it, it doesn't need any more setup than that. Uh, it, it's just a conversation. It's not an interview. It's just a conversation. And I hope that it blesses and encourages and inspires each of you to seek freedom if you haven't already done so. So without any more, here is the interview, actually the interview, it is the conversation with my good friend, David Foster. All right, so I have on the line with me, David H. Foster. David, I am so delighted to have you here on the About the Church podcast, my friend. Well, you know, I've been looking forward to it, Cliff. There's nothing I love talking more about than the church when it's done right. So glad to join you today. Well, I, I'll tell you what. Um, obviously, I've shared with my community quite a bit about the journey that I've been on, well, really all my life, but then uh, right, right. over the last, I guess, 20 years now of being a Christian, and and what God's been doing in my life over the last five years to break me right. free from a lot of the bondage. And the baggage that I've been carrying all these years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Yeah, I yeah, I've seen it, you know, I've been I've been a pastor all my adult life and I think my passion has been to try to take the church back from all the weird people who have taken it and tried to possess it. And uh, instead of trying to set people free, trying to put them into some kind of weird religious bondage, and uh, you know that you know it, it, I've got job security because there's so much weirdness out there in the name of God. I can live ten lifetimes still, not scratch the surface. I'm afraid. You know, you know what shocks me is the amount of time that I've been in the Christian faith and in the Christian community. And I have not heard this message of freedom preached yeah. anywhere. Right, right. How, now, does, that, how yeah. does that happen? Well, because there's a big distinction. You know, people think that when I make a distinction between religion and Christian, that I'm, you know, straining uh, in, at, at math. But there's a big difference because, you see, if I'm a religious leader, if I am a pastor and I view Christianity, you know, the eanity part as a religion, then I have a lot of tools to manipulate you and keep you motivated. Guilt, shame, you know. Uh, but if I set you free, see, I moved to Nashville 20, back in 1989 to start a church for people who didn't want to go to church under this conviction, or at least a conviction or, or, or this experiment. Would people do more? for God, for love and, and gratitude than fear, shame, and guilt. And uh, so if, if, if you take the, the view that, you know, you need to keep people shamed uh, and, and guilted and carrying a load of, of garbage to keep them coming to church and, you know, you, you hang them over hell, you threaten them uh, with judgment or punishment, you threaten them, but just a removal of God's favor on their lives, then that's a potent and a very powerful. I don't care how specific we say we are. The truth of the matter is, these are very powerful motivators. The problem is, is that they chew up the people that you use to manipulate them with. And so what I've discovered is that if you can set people free in Christ, they'll do far more, they'll give more, serve more, do more out of gratitude than they ever will do out of guilt, and they, they will do it long-term and be healthy and healthier for having, you know, served a bigger purpose than just themselves. Well, you know, one of the, I'm sure that one of the biggest fears of, uh, from somebody who is well-intentioned in their religion and, and right. wanting to control people is, is that they're afraid that if you do open up that door of freedom that, you know, right. you know what, you can, you really can do pretty much anything and and yep. god's still gonna love you yep. that that's scary it it, it, yeah. it there it is actually scary on behalf of people who are well-intentioned because well gosh if i tell you that you can do anything and god's still yep. gonna love you because you, yep. you're enveloped by his grace right and and that right. he's died for your sins not just in the past but the ones you'll commit moving forward 
Yeah. I mean, that that's scary to those people. And, and I'll be honest with you. When I walked into Freedom uh, just uh, literally just months ago, it, it was right. scary for me. It's like, wait a second. You mean I don't have to feel guilty and ashamed of these decisions yeah. that I've made? These right. these little sins that are in my life that I, I feel right. so overwhelmed by? I, I can continue to do those, and God would still love me. Yep, that's right. And I was... Well, you know, go well, ahead. Well, I, I think, you know, uh, people people have this idea that if you set them free, if you give them grace, if you, if you, if you, if you trust them to the grace of God in Christ, then they'll live any way they want to. And that's the goal, isn't it? It's not to change how we live. It's to change the want to. Yes. It's to change the appetite. Instead of, instead of for example, for men, instead of putting all the porn filters and the accountability stuff so I won't get on the Internet, uh, internet and, and, and lose my soul in pornography, how about let's just dry up the appetite for this crap? How about we just change our hearts, our souls, and our passions and our desires? That's a far more healthy and far more long-term goal than trying to just trying to bridle people's, you know, uh, you know, trying to force people to change what they are when they can't do that. People cannot change. They cannot reform over time. Now, they give the appearance of it, but when you really delve into their private lives, they're doing something to compensate. If the grace of God transforms your heart and soul, then you will be different on the outside and the inside, and that will be a God thing, a good thing, and a thing you can sustain and grow in over your lifetime. You know, one of the things that I have noticed is everything that you're saying is true. There, uh, the The first thing that came to my mind is that I really no longer uh, have to quote unquote hide my sins, um, yeah. and not from uh, certainly not from God. Although I've tried, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. stupid as Absolutely. that sounds, yeah, I know. Uh, I, it's like God, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to hide from you as if He doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, but also, what I've realized in, in gained freedom is 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 that I don't have to hide sins from my wife, from my kids, right. from right. my friends, from yeah. those who who. The, from those whom I lead, I don't have yep. to hide those sins anymore, right. and and that that alone gave me a tremendous amount of freedom to actually overcome in the last couple of months some some things that I've dealt with for twenty years and have right. never been able to break free from. But now I'm gaining some control over those things, yep. and 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 it's even still I can't say that I'm completely perfect, and and I s- still have <laughs> many things yeah. to work on. But the thing is, is, right. is it, it is so freeing to wake up in the morning and say, I am loved. Right. And, and God right. is, and, and one of my friends uh, heard me talk about this in, in, in a podcast and I said, you know what? I heard this once. It, not only does God love you, but I, I always like to think of this. God is thrilled with you. Absolutely. And, and yeah. it's like, okay, wait a second. Wait, no, I can get the love part, but God's actually thrilled with me. Yeah. And, and and but 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 wait a second. He doesn't know what I did last night. Yes, he does, and he's thrilled <laughs> with you. He's not. Absolutely. He's not thrilled with what you did, but he's thrilled with you, and right. he loves you. And the, and what you did does not change that. That's right. You know, God has no. I mean, God doesn't have an overestimation of my abilities. He knows that I am broken. That I am far more sinful than I ever dare imagine, but I'm far more loved than I'd ever dare hope. And those two things live together in a relationship with God. You know, David said in Psalm 139, he says, Lord, you have searched me, you know me, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out, lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is in on my tongue, you know it. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. God God only knows that we sin. He understands why we do. He is a student of our soul. He loves us, knows us, loves each one of us, Cliff, as though we were the only person on the planet to love and big enough to love all of us like he loves each other. You know, you bring up David, and one of the things that I struggled with early on in my faith, reading the Bible, 
is this understanding of of God referring to David as the man after my own heart. Right. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, because I read the yeah. I read about King David. This is a guy who's yeah. who's had an adulterous affair, yeah. uh, who uh, covers that up by sending the husband of his of this woman off to be killed and murdered, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. I yep. mean, and 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 not only that, but I mean, it's it just some other things. It this is the guy after God's own heart. Yeah. And and yeah. And, and it's like everything's points back to David and, and just how great he is and how much he was used by God. In in spite of himself, God loved right. him. Right. Well, see, we have turned, what we've done is we've taken Christianity and turned it into moralism. It's about being moral. Yep. And so if you were to weigh David on the moral scale, not only would he come up light to float off the scale. He, had, he, he was not a very moral person. But the genius of David that God celebrates is the, fact the gap between David's sin and David's repentance was very short. And it was closing constantly all of his life. And it's not the fact that we sin that's a problem. It's the fact that we don't acknowledge it and come to the Father and let him love us through it and in spite of it and allow, allows us See, what I, what I harbor in secret, I lose control over. What I bring out in public loses control over me. That's why confession and all these things are so important for our well-being. They have nothing to do with establishing and maintaining the relationship. That is done on God's part. That relationship is durable, and it can take anything. We're never going to break that relationship. But the health of that relationship is what we get to participate in and enjoy as God begins to grow us up. I've been listening to um, Steve Brown over at Key oh, Life yeah. Ministry and, yes, and really enjoying a lot of his materials. Uh, he just created a brand new Twitter account. I don't know if you've heard about it yet. It's called Three Free Sins. So it's Twitter. <laughs> twitter.com slash three free sins. I think he's getting ready to promote something. He might be writing a book called three free sins or free, something. Free sins. Yeah. Lo- <laughs> love it. But anyway, he, yeah. he's always, he's always talking about, he has these people on his radio show and at the end of them, he says, thank you for coming on because of this. You, you, you now are given, you're granted three free sins. And I, I just kind of, kind of love the honoriness of this man. And, uh, one of the things he, one of the Twitter posts he put out there, he says, free sins are a gift, but only if you know that you need them. What are, what, what thoughts does that bring to your mind? Any, any thoughts on that statement? Well, I think it's just Steve's way of trying to help us understand how secure and how safe we are in the father's love and that our sins do not violate or rupture that relationship. Well, and that, go ahead. Well, my question, I guess, is is the the end statement of here, but only if you know that you need them, such as the qualifications. Like, you know what? Not, not everybody is off the hook here for sin. Right. Meaning, and, and so what I get out of this tweet, this little pithy statement, is that if you know that you need grace, then it is a free gift to you. If, if, right. If, I, I, and I would assume to mean, and, and I think I know enough from... Steve Brown's teaching to think that if you don't feel like you need forgiveness for sins, then therefore right. that, that that gift is not yet applied to you. Right. Well, Steve and I come from the same theological background. We're reformed. So what we believe in is, is that, that men and women, apart from God, are, are dead spiritually. So they're oblivious to the moral implications of what they do. So they look at each other and compare each other with each other, and so therefore they don't feel any sense really of guilt or shame or that anything is really wrong unless they fare unfavorably. But when, when the Holy Spirit makes us alive, Cliff, to understand our condition, it's when that awareness allows us to do what Jesus... You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, bless those poor in spirit and bless those who mourn. What, what he's saying is when you understand that you, have, you are bankrupt before God morally and that you are without remedy unless God does something, when you, are, when you recognize your sin and your brokenness and you come and confess 
that helplessness to Christ. It's not that I sinned that's the problem. It's that I could. It's not that I lied. It's that I could. That's the issue. We deal with the lies, and the lies are like we. They never go away. The gospel goes to the heart, down to the root, and changes the heart, changes the root. That's why I say to people all the time, this old axiom that we've been raised with, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're far more than that. You have been adopted. You are a son or daughter of God. You are a member of the kingdom. You are, you are different. It's not a better old you. It's a different new you. You know, that, that sounds very similar to the, the teaching that, that I grew up in, but it's so different than the teaching that I grew up in because, right. because I, I've always been told, you know, no, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint. And, right. and, and of course, I understand. That I, I even, even today in my freedom, I believe that. I am a saint. Um, I, I, am, I am a called out one. I am one that is set apart. Uh, I, I, yep. I am. But w- what happened was I saw it taken to such an extreme. It's like, no, you're not a sinner. You are a saint. You have been saved by grace. And, mm-hmm. and, and God is working, into you, working in you to work you towards sanctification where you will be free from sin. So, so that while yeah. the ability may be there, you will no longer give in to that flesh. Well, see, that's the way you deal with this. The other way, from a moralistic point of view, you you basically say everyone is sin, everyone is basically, so there's no big deal. The other side of the spectrum is no one sins. And so if you become like us, the attainable is that the sins will go away. Again, it's all about behavior, right? It's all about how I behave so that God will love me. And the gospel is, the good news is, there is no amount of personal reform that you can ever do to qualify you for the love of God. That is a gift. It has to be recognized and received. And once it is recognized and embraced, I become, through that experience, a different man, a different woman. And my desires and passions are to honor the God who loves me so relentlessly without limit or breaking point. And so my sins may not necessarily go away. Hopefully I'm growing. But my desire is to honor God because I love him, not because I fear that he's going to throw me out of the family. I've been reading uh, a lot of work from Brennan Manning, uh, as you yeah. know. I, I, I absolutely enjoyed reading the book All Is Grace. I, I thought, yes. it, had I not known what I know about Brennan Manning and the you know tens of thousands of people, if not many multitudes more than that, that he's positively impacted with his preaching and teaching and his books and, and things of that nature, um, had I not known all of those things about him, I, I'd be honest with you, his memoirs were quite depressing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you know, because he comes out of a Catholic monastic background, and uh, you know, when you become an alcoholic in that environment, boy, your life is really messed up. And but if you really scrape a lot of that off, I mean, it, his story is the story of a lot of other people looking for love, trying to get acceptance, never being affirmed of any value, longing for someone to love him as he was, not as he ought to be, and. You know, that is such a radical message. I mean, it sounds, like you said, uh, on the surface very much like uh, a lot of what we hear, but on the, on the, in the guts of it, uh, it really is different because it is not about being God loving me more when I am good and less when I am bad. It is Him loving me consistently, relentlessly, without boundary, without breaking point, whether I'm good or bad. You know, Augustine said this. He said, love God and sin mightily. A lot of people take offense at that, but his point was that if you are obsessed with loving the God who loves you, then you don't have to worry about your behavior. It'll take care of itself. Here's one thing from... um, Now, you had sent me a book called Ruthless Trust, another book by Brennan Manning. I I think I'm on the third or fourth chapter of, of this book, and, yep, I've and got I, it right here in front of me. I was blown away when I read this statement. Of course, you know he's 
he he in I think there was a the trouble with you know with grace or the trouble with with trusting in or the trouble with trusting in God and it was all about right. pain and heartache and and right. and, and right. stuff like that and he says you know and it's you know it's hard to speak to this person and and talk to them about blind faith in God and and that God works all things together it's tough to talk to these people and and so then you know setting that up that's where he leads into this and I just got one quote here I want to remember he says for that matter speak to me sitting on the curbstone along General Meyer Avenue here in New Orleans. I am intoxicated after a relapse with alcohol. My clothes are in tatters. I reek with rancid body odor. I am unshaven. My face and belly are bloated. My eyes are bloodshot. I'm clutching a fifth of Smirnoff vodka, only a few ounces left. My marriage is collapsing. My friends are near despair, and my honor is broken. My brain is scrambled, my mind a junkyard of broken promises, failed dreams, and unkept resolutions. And, yep. and here, and, and, and am I to understand he's sitting there writing a book about ruthless trust following God? Yep. Yep. And, ha- and, 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 and a book that is going to radically propel people forward in their faith and trust in our God. Right. So, yeah. so I, I, I guess this, this right here begs the question, where does the term hypocrite ever come into play? Well, a hypocrite would be someone who is sitting there writing this book in that condition, pretending to be totally whole and above it all. That's ah, hypocrisy. There um, we go. Yeah. So here, here's a guy, I mean, when you really get in, when you get out of the church world and the sweet, nice little church-going people, and you get in the real world where people are broken, bruised, they've been attacked by life, they, have, they, they are in the clutches of their addictions and their, and their the lifetime of bizarre behaviors, that's where the grace of God really gets tested. Can it reach down and love consistently and lift consistently? Notice he's not in that state today. Yeah. Uh, and, and begin to, not just to redeem us, but to bring about restoration and reconciliation. I often say to people, God is, if you don't know what God is up to, it's three words, redemption, restoration, reconciliation. These are all a part of, of the process of salvation. They're all gifts, they're all providential, they're all sovereignly uh, anointed and initiated by God. And I often tell people, before you say yes to Jesus, you need to understand that when you get in, once you get in, once you say yes, then God takes over and there are a whole lot of decisions you don't get to make. You are his son, you are his daughter, you will be conformed to his image. Uh, you can either cooperate, you can go the easy way, or you can go the Brendan Manning way. <laughs> but, you will be, but you will be conformed, you know. And, and that's why a lot of times, uh, you know, when you become a Christian, I, in my life, uh, when I became a believer, when I was thinking, man, all hell broke. You know, I never realized, I mean, how much opposition there could be and how much misunderstanding there was. And I thought following Jesus made life peaceful and everybody happy. I wouldn't tell my mom and dad. I thought they were going to, you know, take me out and buy me a present. No, they asked me to leave the house. Because, you know, this is following Jesus isn't just some nice, sweet, little, safe Sunday morning thing that we do. It is a radical departure for a lot of people uh, from the life that they live. Well, I, I want to tell people here, and I know that the folks who have listened to to all of my journey of uh, hearing the About the Church podcast and Almost Daily Devotional, they've heard me talk about this before, but you have a podcast that's uh, named after a book that you wrote called A Renegade's yeah. Guide to God. Tell, guide us a, to God. Yeah. tell us about The Renegade's Guide to God. Where did that come from? Well, I, I realized uh, if, uh, that a lot of people don't listen to uh, Sunday morning sermons online. And, uh, and what I found was that as I was answering questions between services and after services and counseling sessions on my blog, uh, you know, I found that a lot of the same questions were coming up. Like last week's episode was, why are there so many new Christians? And I thought, you know, it would be, it'd be good to sit down and give a, like a 29-minute weekly, uh, you know, private session to answer these questions. 
that a lot, you know, what, you know, what is the time to leave the church? Uh, what kind of church should I go to? Uh, you know, there, 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 there are a lot of people who are manipulated and brutalized by religious people calling themselves Christians. And I thought it would be great uh, to have someone who isn't afraid. My tagline of the show is helping you know God, love God, and live the life for which you were created something way too important to be left up to religious professionals and other weird people who just want to control your life. And so that's my only motivation. I want to set them free like I was set free. I don't want them to have to go through some of the stuff I had to go through to really understand that the gospel was indeed good news. So uh, every week it was posted every Thursday around lunchtime, and uh, it's just trying to answer these practical questions without the denominational spin or without any motive on my part to try to, you know, get an advantage with them or or get something from them. One of the things that I realized after, you know, kind of being faced with with the message of freedom, uh, listening to your podcast was was an early catalyst of this, um, and and some other materials that I was reading, uh, a book by Francine Rivers called Redeeming Love, a fictional right. retelling of right. the book of Hosea, um, and then reading Wayne Jacobson's uh, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. Church anymore, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm going through this process, and then once I've decided, you know what, this is the message that God's been trying to beat into my mind over the last five years, and I can see that pattern. I can see where God's, leading me to this and where he wants me to break free he wants me to live you know this whole idea of come to me you who are wearied and heavy laden i come i will give you rest it's like seriously and 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 it's amazing how much less stress i have in my life i'm absolutely it is like literally i breathe differently yeah i breathe yeah and And it, it is it is just you know, one of the joys, Cliff, of my life uh, it has been, I mean, I, I, I mean, every week, I mean, I have the greatest job in the whole world. Every week I'm setting people free. See, I know what's going to happen when someone comes, you know, uh, embraces, allows Christ to love them. I see the radical nature of that change. And, and so, you know, for me, you know, what I, I'm just like Santa Claus, you know, giving people the best gift they've ever had when they discover that, you know, what they've had is religion. And religion don't carry you. You carry it. Yeah. Jesus carries us. Carries us a lot more than we know. And he carries us, loves us, sustains us, blesses us. And, you know, here's what I found. A mean Christian is a person who is yet to accept their acceptance in Christ. Therefore, they have nothing to give anyone else. Say that one more and time. A mean Christian, and there are a lot of them, is a person who themselves has not accepted their own acceptance in Christ. And, it's, and therefore, they have no acceptance to give anyone else. If Christ, for example, if I'm trying to be a really good Christian, I'm trying to be a pastor, trying to build a church, trying to give people a reason to come every seven days, then I have got, and I have no grace, then I want other people to work as hard. I want them to be as difficult as it is for me. Do I want any Christian to say, hey, I'm going to live in the way I want to and love God? No, I don't want them to say that. I want them to say, you know what, I go to church, I tithe, I serve, I have a small group, and I go to visitation. That's what I want to hear. But what I know is that all that stuff in and of itself, done by itself, is hollow. This is not how the life of God flows in the real world. It flows through me and you and our work and our ups and our downs and our pain and our marriage crisis and our children crisis and our job crisis and all that. But God is in that. That's where we meet the sacred. That's where God shows up and thrills us with how good and how faithful he is. And he wants to give us our dreams, our hopes, and our aspirations. He wants to thrill us. So that every day we get up is like a joy rather than a chore. Man, that's so, that's so different than what I, I, I've i heard. It's just like so <laughs> yeah. different than what I've heard in, in my life. Yeah. 
It's just like, well, it, you know, in this world, you will have many troubles. That, it seems like there's so much focus on that. Yeah. <laughs> your life yeah, is going to be a true pain in the rear yeah. end, and you're probably yeah. going to be hung upside. If you, if you really love God, you'll love God in such a way that you'll, you'll anger so many people that eventually yeah. they'll hang you upside down just like Peter. Yeah, well, you know, there, you know there's <laughs> only, one sa- only one Savior per lifetime, and you and I ain't it, right? Yeah. Uh, people need to come down off the cross. I mean, here's the thing that's, that's thrilling for me, is God is at work. This is not my work. Uh, you know, I don't redeem people. I don't make people want God. I don't make people hungry spiritually. I don't, I don't help people find solutions to their shame and to their guilt and to their broken relationships. I'm just a professional reminder. <laughs> I'm just you know, reminding people of, of where hope can be found. And once God gets a hold of them, I know that he is going to do so many wonderful things. He's going to thrill them with his love and his presence and his providence and his promises. That it's just a joy to stand back and watch people get set free and start beginning to live the life for which they were created. I really try to help people take their life back. And when you take your life back and you take it back from the religious professionals and all of these mean, messed up people who want to control your life, then you begin to live in the freedom and in the flow of God's grace. You begin to serve the purpose for which you were created, and that's where you find joy. One other thing I've noticed since uh, you know being on this new path with God and, and, and kind of reestablishing that a relationship that I they initially started 20 years ago, I am seeing today, and, 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 and I'd love your opinion on this, but um, I am noticing today a lot more people who are starting to understand and communicate the true gospel, the good news right. of, of being free in Christ. Is it because yeah. the blinders have fallen off that I'm seeing it now? Or have yeah. you it also is. noticed that that just seems more and more people are catching on? Well, I think, I, I wish I could say the latter. I think it's the former. I think once you get set free, then you start getting attracted to people who understand who have been set free. Once you're walking in, I mean, when you're walking in this bondage, when you're carrying this load, you know, the great thing about it is if I, if I want to manipulate you with religion, I can do it all your life. I can say God is good to those who are worthy. And, you, and then, I, then you say, okay, well, how can I be worthy? And I give you these five things to do and God is still not good to you, then all I have to say is, try harder. You come back, you've tried harder. You're not doing something right. I can do this the rest of my life. Mm. And so, it, so what happens is that is, so, that is such a burden. Once it is taken off and the scales drop off your eyes and you see the truth, you know, when Paul said it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, do not let anyone bring you back into a yoke of bondage then you begin to recognize other people who, who before you thought were frivolous or not as dedicated, and now you recognize, hey, you know, these people have just been free. And I couldn't recognize it because I wasn't free. And when you're not free, uh, Cliff, the last thing you want is, is other people to be free, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're miserable, do you want to be around happy people? Of course not. You want to be around other people who are just as miserable as you. And so as you begin to, I call it the hot poker principle, you know, is that when you, I think that's what the church, the genius of the church is supposed to be, that we come together around this fire of freedom to love God and celebrate God and worship God and love each other and build each other up and set each other on fire, and then we go out, and as, you, as the poker gets away from the fire, it gets a little cool. Then we come back in the seven days, and we fire each other. So the worship in the church should be more like a fire uh, rather than what it is for many people, a prison. <laughs> like a funeral. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I, I found this quote from Augustine, Augustine uh, the other day. It says this, There's a large number of people share their joy in common. The happiness of each is greater because each adds to the fuel of the other's flame. And when you are around people who are free, 
who are, who are, and see, the people who are free, I mean, truly free in Christ, they're not lax morally. They don't not care about being the kind of uh, example that reflects well on God. But they're, they're thinking about bigger things, just like you are. You've got bigger things to do than worry about whether or not you're going to drink wine or smoke a cigar or go to, to an R-rated movie. You're, you're trying to change the world, Cliff, yep. and that's what you're doing. And it, that the ripples of that, I thought you were going to say this a second ago, I bet you'll agree with this. Have you noticed that since God has set you free, you're beginning to push deeper into people's lives who need to be saved? There is, there's no question in my mind. And, it, yeah. and, and the, here, here's the thing. Um, it, and it, it's not anything that I have their names on a card in my wallet, right? You know, on nope, a piece of paper, they they, they just show up, and 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 yeah. it's not like it's like oh, well, I have to tell myself, okay, where can I introduce the conversation with God? Yeah. And in fact, yeah. I, I'd yeah. almost sometimes just rather talk about things that I'm I'm more passionate and interested in. And the thing is, is is, is I can't I can't find it's it's hard to find a conversation where somebody is not asking me about my freedom. Yep. Yeah. And, right. and, and yeah. it was, it was great at Thanksgiving. I'll, I'll tell you years and years ago, my wife and I were, when we first started dating together, we, we didn't start our relationship off that great. I was, I, at, when she and I first met, I had, um, done that thing, what they call, um, backslide. I was backsliding. <laughs> so, so I, I was, brother. I was, I was, I was way out there and my wife, or well, Stephanie, my girlfriend at the time, she was very much into church and she was going to this assembly of God church and her, you know, with her cousins and stuff. And her cousin, his name is Mark, sits down with me one day and he says, Cliff, how's your relationship with Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> and that, I'll tell you, I just never felt more uncomfortable in my life. I know, I know, and, I know. And, uh, and it's funny because I, 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 it, I remember that day and I remember the words exactly. How is your relationship with Jesus was the question that was asked. And that was like, I don't know, 15 years ago. All right. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Fast forward 15 years to this Thanksgiving. Go over to his, uh, Stephanie's grandparents' house. Cousin Mark is there. I sitting down. I'm sitting down right next to him. He says, "So you and Stephanie still going to that uh, First Church of Christ up there in Burlington?" And I'm like, "Nope." He goes, "Oh, so you guys, uh, you guys found another church that you're going to?" Nope. <laughs> and, I, and, and and at that point, if he was to say, "Oh, okay," and move the conversation somewhere else, I, I would have been fine. I didn't feel like I'm like, "Okay, yeah. let me let me tell you how, everything I've learned." Yeah. I, I it yeah. wasn't that wasn't my intention. I was like, yeah. "Okay, you know, this is great pumpkin pie, right?" <laughs> and and so he goes, so he goes, so you you're not going to church anywhere? I said, "Nope." <laughs> and yeah. he says, "So why not?" And 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 so he was he was present and and the cool thing is 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 that every time he he started to talk about the quote unquote going to church and every single time he it, it was very clear by what he was saying he was talking about a Sunday morning gathering of all the people together that institution that organization that thing right every time he brought that up I brought up the fact that I am so much deeper involved in my relationship with Christ than I've ever been and that I am experiencing the life of the church with some of the most amazing people and that I'm growing in my relationship with Christ. He goes, yeah, but I could never just, I I mean, you know, church on Sunday. It's like, yeah, I know. I, I, and, and and the thing is like, dude, I I encourage you, man, if that's where, if that's where you're connecting with people, keep going, you know? And, 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 and but he kept pressing. It's it's almost as though he felt like you know not that he, I didn't feel like he was trying to convince me that I'm doing wrong, but he's like, dude, I, I want to hear more. What well, tell me more yeah. about this feeling? And, and and I started sharing things, and he started bringing some scriptures that that would go against you know if you just pull them out by themselves. Right. And right. I, and just you know, of course, here's the Psalm one nineteen eleven. I have hidden your word in my heart, so that I might not sin against you. I've got I've got scriptures in my heart that I never realized were there before. Absolutely. And yeah. and all of a sudden I'm like, well, what about this? And what about this? And he's like, oh. And and I sit there and he says, so so you're reading your Bible every day, right? I said, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I tell you what. I, there. Yeah. I I I said, well, you know what? I'm in the Word daily. 
And he's like, well, that's good. And I said, well, you know what I mean? I said, if you're interested, I'll tell you what I mean by that. And I said, I'm not reading the Bible every day. I'll just tell you I'm not. But I'm in the Word daily because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Word. And, and, and I said, when you think about that, that Jesus Christ is the Word, and, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word is God, He was with God in the beginning, through Him, Jesus, the Word, everything. And I'm, and I'm sitting there getting all fired up, and everybody's like, mm-hmm. you guys coming in? Whoa. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> and then everybody in the living room is listening, and he's like, dude, whoa. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and, and he started asking more about my relationship with Jesus, and, and the topic got off of, quote-unquote, going to church real fast. Right. And that's what yep. I'm seeing. That that stuff is happening all the time, and I am not orchestrating any of it. Yeah. Well, oftentimes I think people want us to conform to their visions of Christianity to bolster their own insecurities. And uh, you know, when you see when you see someone who says they're a follower of Jesus but they're not doing it the way you've been taught it has to be done, then that's threatening. Right. But if you're free in Christ and you trust God, see, I trust God's work in your life. And if I trust God's work in your life, then I have to trust what that looks like, right? And it may not look like God's work in my life. As a matter of fact, it probably won't. But the commonality of our love for Christ and what he's doing in the world then becomes so strong that our world becomes bigger because God can now behave in ways we never anticipated he could or thought he would, right? Yeah. We've been taught to believe that all the work God does, he does on Sunday morning at church. No, all the work God does, he is doing 24-7. He is constantly engaging. I mean, think about the ways in which we can worship. We've got podcasts. We've got, uh, we've got uh, all these Bible apps and all these opportunities. We have such a rich uh, you know, a, a storehouse of, of resources to grow our spiritual life that we didn't have 25, 30, even 15 years ago. Yep. So to say that we have to always be present in one place at one time for God to work is just a really narrow way of looking at it. You know, he, Jesus says this. He says, you know, I'm going to build my church and the gates of death will not prevail against it. But we have to redefine sometimes what church is. Is church a building where people go and look at the back of each other's heads every seven days? Or is the church something bigger than the community gathered? Isn't the church, you know, when, when, when I'm praying for the gathering every day, I'm praying for the church out there being the church in, you know, hospitals and law offices and, and schools and homes and in businesses and Walmarts and I mean, everywhere we go. So it's a bigger view of the church, rather, uh, and not worrying about, you know, it is really a humanistic way of looking at the faith to say that I really care about who shows up at the geographical location called the gathering. And the really good Christians in Nashville would go to the gathering. And this is what we do in Nashville. I don't know how how you guys do in Cincinnati, but in Nashville... We meet you and we say, how are you? Fine. Yep. Are you a Christian? Yes, I go to First Self-Righteous Baptist Church. <laughs> really? Well, I go to First Self-Righteous Church of God, where we really have the, the, we really have the Spirit. So we divide up in our little holy huddles. Wouldn't it be cool that the day came that our common relationship would simply be around our humility and our gratitude to God for his grace in Christ, and be able to appreciate, Cliff, and celebrate each other's freedom, but also what God is doing in each other's life. That we could be cheerleaders for each other. 
And if what God is doing in your life doesn't look like what I think God should be doing, then shouldn't I be a big enough guy to expand my view of what God does rather than exclude you because your idea of ministry doesn't look like mine? That, and that and that is exactly where God has been leading my thoughts and, and my prayers yeah. is, is to... Yeah. Is to break down the barriers, the borders, the walls that we put between yeah. ourselves, the la- yeah. the labels. You know, it, it, it's funny, David, because one of the things is is I got to meet you and and your wife on on a cruise, uh, Dan Miller's No More Monday cruise, right, right, and right. and so I got to know you guys as as human beings, as people, and then right. you know it wasn't you know and 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 I got to, I got to have that relationship with you, and it was just fun. Yeah. And then all right. of a sudden, on the way home, because because we, I mean, I knew a, I mean, I knew of you before because right. you were a client. Right. You were you had communicated right. with me before, but then I got to know you, and then I considered you a friend after the cruise. Right. And on the way home from the cruise, I start we we start downloading some of your podcasts. We're listening to some of your sermons, and it's like this is really right. great stuff. And I'm gonna right. tell you, the old me. The old me, if you would have said, hey, I'm David H. Foster, I'm a Calvinist, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you right now, immediately, yeah. I, don't think right. I, would, I don't think I ever would have downloaded any of your podcasts. Yep, that's right. Because you know what? I come from Isn't the yeah. Wesleyan Arminian line right. of faith. Right, right. And, and, yeah. and if, months ago, that's the way it would have been. I would have never heard yeah. of Renegade's Guide to God because I never would have looked it up. It's like, oh, he's a Calvinist. Yeah. He's a Calvinist. He preaches something yeah. different. Yep. And and here yeah. I here I am, and, and and as far as I'm concerned, I don't. You call yourself a Calvinist all you want. I think you're a Fosterist. You know, you're. you're yeah, and I think yeah. Somebody asked me today, what, what does it mean to be a Calvinist? And I said, to me, it means God is sovereign; He does as He pleases. But He pleases to love me. It pleases Him to show me His grace. And you know, it, whether you call yourself a Calvinist and Arminian and all those things. People like me, I will say this to you, I think people like me who stand up and, and try to speak into people's lives owe it to the people we speak to, to know this stuff, to be prepared. I mean, you wouldn't want a, a heart surgeon you know, who, who, found, who took his course through you know, a, a coupon he found at Rice Krispies, right? Right. You don't want him to go to medical school. You want to expect that your pastor's have sacrificed and paid the price of preparation. But at the end of the day, if our preparation doesn't help us understand the issues and focus on them, then we then our then our education hasn't done anyone any good. My education simply affirmed, Cliff, what I had experienced. That was the wonderful thing for me, is that my education and my transformation and my walk of Jesus all went hand in hand. And, you know, when, when, when uh, Manning talked about the problem of pain, as C.S. Lewis and others have done, when I went through that in seminary, when I almost died, and I felt like God had abandoned me, that I was in a hospital for almost a month with a ruptured appendix, it was that transformative experience that taught me that the love of God for me was far more aggressive, far more trustworthy, far more faithful than anyone has ever dared tell me. Yeah. But when I experienced it, one day, once, and you, I'm sure you've already experienced it, you experienced it, once you get out of the box, you never go back. And oh. you just, it, 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 you're never going to ever go back. And I'm sorry, that's going to hack a bunch of people off. But what I think it would do, and I think what I'm already seeing in your life, is it's opening you up to a whole new vista, a whole new section of people who, who are, uh, and I use this word positively, worldly, in the sense that they see the world as a big place. And I think what God has done for you, at least you know, from a distance, is taken off kind of the provincial uh, governors of your faith and lets you see that your love for Jesus and your commitment to make a difference is big. And God is big, and he can embrace a big, diverse world. And so you're already embracing your clients. They're going through struggles. You're adding 
not only your expertise, but a spiritual com- component. And I see you, I see you and Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller and all these kind of a new breed of believer who are going out in the business world who are not trying to preach, trying to save people and preach people into heaven, but who are boldly allowing kind of a synergy to, between your spiritual walk and your and your business walk kind of come together. And I think what you're going to do and what you're doing, you're, you're letting people know it's okay. It's okay to acknowledge the spiritual side of you. Yeah. And that, that spiritual side can also energize and help envision the business side of you. So all those things kind of become a, a part of the bigger fabric of your life. I, I absolutely and that and, and I feel I'm I I've always sensed that that even years ago and back in 1996 I, I acknowledged God calling me into full-time ministry right and right. and never really understood and I and I, I and even with podcasting it's like wait a second I know God's gonna use me in this realm in this space in this right. this avenue and that's why I gotta that's why I, I need to break free from the, from the insurance because I really feel this yeah. is this is that area. Yeah. But I still didn't. I, I still wasn't. Gra- it's like, what is the? What's the mission? What's the message? You know, it, for, right. for the longest time, it was. You know, I'm just here to entertain, to educate, to encourage, and to inspire. I'm supposed to take my journey and just share it, and right. and, and trust God to do something with that. And and right. and and, and, all, and honestly, that's all I've been doing is just sharing my journey and trusting that God will do something with it. And, and what blew my mind was all the people who would write in. And and this is really the camel that broke the sh- or the the straw that broke the camel's back. I got an email from somebody who says, "Gosh, Cliff, you know what? I I just listened to your podcast and I can't tell you how much it meant to me. And and I just want to tell you, dude, you are the most awesome example of what a Christian should be like." Mm-hmm. And, there you go. And yeah. and I'm like, "Whoa! Put the yeah. brakes on, dude." Yeah. If you would have told me that from January to May, I might have believed it because, by God, I I was I was I was on my high holy horse. Yeah, I was living a legalistic yeah. lifestyle for five months, the first yeah. five months of this yeah. year. But, dude, you're you telling me, li- that yeah, yeah, I was you ch- your list, right? Yeah, I I had it down. <laughs> I said, but, dude, it's July, it's July. And I am in the deepest valley of my relationship yeah. with God. God's mad at me right yeah. now. I'm. Yeah. I hate church. I hate this. I hate this person. I am so right. angry. But I still share my journey, and I'm just trying to share. I'm just attempting to be positive. And in fact, I'm totally fake in some areas. And you're writing me an email to tell me I'm the best Christian example you've ever seen. It's like this is blowing my mind. And that's for you. That's when I wrote to you, and I said, dude. I don't understand why God even yeah. would even let me speak at this point. Why yeah. hasn't why yeah. hasn't God struck me with some kind of illness to keep me from speaking? Because I am a <laughs> I am horrible. Yeah, I you know, and that's just how weird. I mean, it's also that's a great example of just how weird this stuff can get, but also how powerful the the the, the bonds of religion can be on our soul. Yeah, they can so intimidate us and so. See, our desire for God, our thirst and hunger for God is so real and so undeniable. We will, we will submit to almost any abuse that promises us an answer for that hunger. And so that's why we're so susceptible to religion and its power over us. And when we are set free, I mean, I have to tell you, Cliff, but when, I mean, you know, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, 10 years. And for much of that, I was in bondage. And when I got set free, I was hacked. <laughs> I was hacked at all these people I trusted. I trusted my professors. I trusted my pastors. I trusted my parents. And I want to say, you, you took a childlike trust and you manipulated it because you didn't possess anything other than that to give me. And now that I've been set free, I will never, ever, ever do that knowingly to anyone else. Can I say uh, something? Know, yeah, uh, I was, I was, I listened to St- Steve Brown a lot, like I told you, 
And, yeah. and and do you know one of the things I hear him say is 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 he often apologizes to the people because he's got people that listen to his stuff that have been listening to him for you know twenty years, and and he apologized. He goes, I I'm sorry for all the the, the wrong things I told you. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I I'm yeah. sorry for the things I wrote. I was wrong. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, if you believed what those things that I told you, I believed them to be true. Then I was wrong. And so right. I, I, I here's the thing. And, and I'm, you know, listening to a lot of Wayne Jacobson as well, which, by the way, I'm going to be interviewing him next Thursday. Right. And, right. and right. that's yeah. the other thing. He used to be a pastor. And he's like, dude, and yeah. people are like, oh, man, that one book's out of print. I really would. He goes, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad it's out of print. <laughs> Because, <laughs> man, it's wrong. Yeah, it's yeah, wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so when I hear you say that, it's like, you know, I, I'm sure there, there's no question in my mind. I've seen them. I, I know yeah. I've met some manipulators. The, the ones who yeah. knew it and they manipulated and, and they're, they were hungry for, and greedy for power and control of people's lives and money and, and have used God in, in, in terrible ways. But, right. but I want to thank I thank God that, that that's not been a majority of my relationship in the church. Now, have I heard some lies and, and carried some baggage and bondage mm-hmm. it, through my faith? Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I want to say for the majority of it, it was all well-intentioned people. Right. It, and that, you know, that is, I think that is the point that we, that we need to make, is that a lot of these people are just dishing out what they've been given. And that is the danger, is that we, is that we not try to define God by our own experience, yeah. but that we define God by truth. See, what you and I are talking about, a lot of people interpret as, well, wow, you're just kind of freewheeling, kind of make it up as you go, people. No, we're people who are, who are, who are living out truth, right? Yeah. This is what Jesus taught. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, Right? These are the things that Jesus taught, and the world has been turned upside down. Uh, I'm just reading a book of Triumph of Christianity, uh, Rodney Stark. Rodney Stark is a historian out of Baylor, uh, and he said 40% of the people on the planet today, this book came out in November, today are followers of Jesus. 2,000 years after his life, 40%. Of the 7 billion people on the planet today, Christianity is the fastest growing, most healthy faith in the world. And the only place it's not growing is here in Europe. And because we have taken the truth and we have tried to systematize it and sanitize it and organize it, and that's what churches do, right? Yep. It's a big old church, it's a big old institution, it's got systems, we got programs, and the more a church moves toward institutionalization, the more it must possess the truth and let it out in little short, you know, bites because we don't want people to revolt. For people like me and you who have no organization to protect, our allegiance is only to truth. See, that's where I've always met People, you know, I have people who attend the gathering uh, who are atheists, who are agnostic, and who will say so. Our common love is the love of the truth. And I believe that any man or woman who honestly, without bias, over time, seeks truth will find the truth. Yeah. That's the answer to that truth. And so for you and me, what we, we're, we're not interested in, in people conforming to our moral lifestyle. We're interested and people being informed about the love and the grace and the insane passion that God, that our, our Heavenly Father has for, for each one of us. And the only thing we, the only price that He demands we pay is the confession that we're broken without Him and a confession to love Him and allow Him to love us back. And that, my friends, is the good news. <laughs> Amen. David, thank you so much for this opportunity oh. to have this conversation with you. I hope that you'll agree to come back on in future episodes of this. We need to do this more often. Well, I'm all for it, my friend. <laughs> Me too. I am too. All right. Thank you, buddy. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much.
You're welcome. Well, my friends, there you go. That's the conversation I had with David Foster, close personal friend, advisor, pastor, extraordinaire, professional religious dude. <laughs> anyway, dude, I, I tell you what, we're definitely going to have him on again. Um, I know you guys are going to like that conversation, and uh, I'd love to hear about it. Go to atcpodcast.com. That stands for About the Church Podcast. atcpodcast.com. Leave me a comment in the uh, comment section for episode 124. I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, if this has been an inspiration for you. If I get lots of comments, I'll bring you back again, which I assume we will. Uh, Anyway, next time I have another great interview with somebody that uh, I've been blessed by recently. But until then, leave a comment, 124atcpodcast.com, and also check out davidfoster.tv.